you gotta build a better you. Why? Because your life is based on you being you. Here's what we do know. Life doesn't get any easier. It doesn't get more forgiving. We just get stronger and we get more resilient. One thing I've noticed is that enthusiasm is common, but endurance is rare. Nobody wants to disappear for three months, four months, six months, and, and, and eliminate all distractions and get into a place where you can focus on just you. What if you could just shut out every distraction? What if you could just shut out the world for just a season and focus on you? I've said many times that, that I never worry about what other people are thinking about you, you know, just, just uh, if you know why you're doing what you're doing, that's good enough. A lot of people just underestimate the amount of effort it takes to go from good to great. You are not your past. You're you. You're you right now. You might have done some things you wish you hadn't done. And so, for whatever reason, they have this second voice that criticizes everything they do that in reality isn't even there. Don't dwell on that. You learn from it, that's fine, but don't dwell on it. Just keep moving. Keep moving. You know, use it. Use it as fuel. Say, never again. I get what I did wrong, but don't think that you're that person that made those mistakes. You're the person who's learned. I would say 99% of the things that I've learned, I've learned to doing. And then esteemable people do esteemable things. When you want this thing as bad as you want to breathe, that's when you find a way. It's like, yeah, well, you want to figure out you want to figure out something that you're doing with your life that's worth not getting drunk and screwing up because that's fun. You are about to rebuild you, a better version of you. If you will be a champion, if you will be a beast, you're going to have to go through something. Here's what we do know. Life doesn't get any easier. It doesn't get more forgiving. We just get stronger and we get more resilient. One thing I've noticed is that enthusiasm is common, but endurance is rare. The race is not given to the strong nor the swift, but it is given to he that endureth until the end. One thing I know is that we've all been hit with a measure of adversity at some point in our life. Everybody listening to me has been hit with a measure of trauma. Everybody wants destiny. Everybody wants manifestation. Everybody wants fulfillment. Everybody wants the next level and the relationship and a higher quality of living. But nobody wants to eliminate distractions. Nobody wants to disappear for three months, four months, six months and, and, and eliminate all distractions and get into a place where you can focus on just you. What if you could just shut out every distraction? What if you could just shut out the world for just a season and focus on you? A man is rewarded in public for what he does in private. The, the reason why you don't see it, the reason why it has not manifested, the reason why you are so frustrated is because you have not been willing to forsake all that you've been called to forsake and to follow through behind closed doors. Sure, you can talk about it. Sure, you can plan it. Sure, you can write it down. Sure, you can go to the conference and hear about it. You can read about it. But at some juncture, you have to disappear and put the work in and come back and shock everybody that doubted you. 
Some of you don't even realize you have unfinished business. You need to go back where you left off with a new perspective. Go back to the gym. Go back to the drawing board. Go back to the business. Go back to the relationship. Go back to the burning building. You have unfinished business. All you got to do is show up with a new game plan and a new perspective. You got unfinished business. You have unfinished business. You got work to do. What happens when your perspective, your perception diametrically opposes your reality? If you are going to give and grow and evolve and attain and become, everything rises and falls on your viewpoint. Perspective is everything. Let's go. I need you to hear me loud and clear. How you see this thing is everything. You cannot change the past but you can change your perspective about it your viewpoint is your advantage your viewpoint is what changes the game everybody wants increase and in, in abundance and lifestyle change and new zip codes and new area codes but you only read once a week and you only work out once or twice a month and so the, the reason why you don't have what it is that you see the reason why what's in your head it's not in your hands. It's not your reality. It's because your perspective opposes your potential. You don't have it because you don't see the value in it. If you believe you've been called to be the difference maker, the game changer, the disruptor, the person that comes into a room and commands the atmosphere, if you believe you've been called to be necessary and not grossly irrelevant, then everything you do, everything you see, everything rises and falls on your perspective, your perception, your viewpoint. How do you see this thing? You are not your past. You're you. You're you right now. You might have done some things you wish you hadn't done. Don't dwell on that. You learn from it, that's fine, but don't dwell on it. Just keep moving. Keep moving. You know, use it. Use it as fuel. Say, never again. I get what I did wrong, but don't think that you're that person that made those mistakes. You're the person who's learned. I think that endurance, enduring something, and building up that ability to endure things, that's also a very important mechanism that you could apply to everyday life. Like that, the mechanism of understanding how to endure. There's a lot of people just running from discomfort. They're running from it. They're just avoiding it. It's so easy to. And like if you get distracted for a second, you're like, mm, yeah, mm, let me check my phone. You just start going through your phone and looking at bullshit, and you're just distracting yourself from the tiniest frustration of boredom. Just the yeah. little – we don't get bored anymore. Or if we get bored, we get bored for these tiny amounts of time, then you get distracted. So your distraction is eliminating – your boredom but the problem with that is like there's certain thoughts that only come to you when you're thinking when you're you don't have any input coming in when we're constantly looking at our phones the only input you're getting is input from other people and sometimes that's good sometimes you get good stuff out of that but it's like a diet of only fruit you know like hey motherfucker, yeah. you need some protein yeah <laughs> like this is you need you need to get some other things in your diet you know and um I think having discomfort in your diet, 
like having it as a, a regular part of your life, it minimizes the amount of uh, other kinds of bullshit. And I think that insanity and, and greatness are next door neighbors and they borrow each other's sugar. There's, there's something about mastery, like true mastery, uh, that requires you to shut off massive areas of your life, personal areas, um, relationships, uh, education. My education was a joke. I mean, until I was 21 years old, until I started doing stand-up comedy, I didn't read books. I mean, I might have read a Stephen King book here and there for, to kill time while I was on the train on my way to training. Uh, but there was, no, uh, there was no desire to educate myself. If I was educating myself, it was maybe reading uh, The Book of Five Rings to learn better strategy, to be a better fighter. That was all it was. Or was there ever a point where you said, I'm a little out of balance. I need to go the other way. Well, I realized I was a flawed person for sure. You know, and I think in realizing that you're a flawed person... What it, helped you realize that? Just fucking up. <laughs> just being an idiot. You know, realizing, you know, girls would get mad at me or maybe guys would get mad at me. Whatever it was, I realized that I had flaws, you know. Uh -huh. I, I, knew, I knew that uh, I was... And then also failing at comedy. One of the um, hardest things to do is to go from being really great at something to sucking at something. And that's something that you suck at is now your path. You know, and that's what I found myself in comedy. You know, I, I could get laughs every now and then, but I knew I wasn't anything special. I knew I was terrible. And there was something exciting about being terrible because it, I had potential, because there was potential for growth. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a, if, you, if you start doing it and you're great at it, like, naturally, like, maybe I wouldn't have had the motivation to do it as a living for 25 years like sure. I've done. I don't know. But at that time, you know, making that transition from martial arts competition to uh, being a comedian, that's when I started going down the road of balance and started trying to balance myself as a person. And I started trying to almost educate myself to have more things to talk about on stage. And then along the way, my curiosity started to blossom. And then I started to just be interested in things for being interested in them. And as I got better as a comedian, I became less worried about what other people thought about me and more worried about just improving and, and keeping, you know, keeping this sort of momentum going. What do you want in your life? It's a very hard question to answer. You're going to have to put some effort into your life. Set up some aims for yourself, goals that you actually value. You need to be motivated to do that. If you're extroverted, you want friends. If you're agreeable, you want an intimate relationship. If you're disagreeable, you want to win competitions. If you're open, you want to engage in creative activity. If you're high in eroticism, you want security. So now you've got your thing to aim at. Think, well, I'm motivated because I got my thing to, thing to aim at. Yeah. It's like you're not as motivated as you could be because you don't yet have your thing to run away from. Because if you really want to be motivated, you want to be going somewhere and you want to be not going somewhere else. You got to aim at something, otherwise your life is meaningless. Well, what should you aim at? Well, pick something, aim at it. As you move toward it, you'll get wiser. Then maybe your aim will change. That's okay, but at least it'll change in an informed way. Discipline yourself in one dimension. See what happens. In some sense, life is a game. The analogy is that in, in life, like in sports, you're setting forth an aim and then arranging your perceptions and your actions in pursuit of that. And that you also generally do it while cooperating and competing with other people. Right. So that's also the game-like element as well. Okay, so once you get your goal structure set up, you think, okay, if I could have this life, looks like that might be worth living, despite the fact that it's going to be anxiety-provoking and threatening and there's going to be some suffering and loss involved and all of that. The goal is to, to have a vision for your life such that all things considered, that justifies your effort. Put yourself in the right frame of mind. Treat yourself like you're someone responsible for helping. 
There's someone that you are responsible for helping. So what that means is you have to start from the presupposition that despite all your flaws and insufficiencies, that it's worth having you around and that it would be okay if things were better for you. It's like if you want to have everything you could possibly want and more, then be a good person. The better a person you are, the more likely that is to happen. That doesn't mean you that you're completely protected against getting cut off at the knees, but there's no better strategy. Start studying, hey, what do are, what are all these successful people have in common? You know, whether it was the mattress dealer, the car dealer, the furniture dealer, or Elon Musk, they spend money, man. You know, they spend money, they spend a lot of money. And they don't worry about money the way I was worried about it. They used money, you know, they used it. They didn't save it. They didn't hoard money. Mm -hmm. And the greatest companies on this planet today, the ones that have just like, the, some of these companies have lost money for 25 years. Look at Amazon. Yeah. Reinvest. So, so when I quit studying individuals and started studying people, everything shifted for me. When I quit trying to be the, you know, when I quit worrying about what Bob was doing or Pete or whoever, and started saying, hey man, what is this big company doing? Mm -hmm. Because that also relieved me of being competitive with this guy, Pete, and started saying, okay, I'm gonna go do what Coca-Cola does. How much is it? Like, I'm gonna ask that question, whether, whether it matters or not. I'm, it doesn't matter where I get in my life. I, I don't think I'm ever gonna be free of, how much was that? Because when I grew up, you had to know what things cost. Money is it's a terrifying thing because it's the one thing in life that, Everybody gets money. It's the one place where everybody gets it, and now what do I do? I think certainly uh, being focused on something that you're confident will have high value to someone else. A natural human tendency is wishful thinking. Um, mm -hmm. So a, a challenge for entrepreneurs is to say, well, what's the difference between really believing in your ideals and sticking, sticking to them versus pursuing some unrealistic dream that right. doesn't actually have merit? When you have your non-negotiables, you already get the most important things every day done. But now, according to circumstance, I get the next most important thing and I can make decisions like this because I already know. Successful people are about that. They are good decision makers. They are hyper resilient. They don't stop at failure. They don't get in their own way from an ego perspective. They're looking nakedly at their own inadequacies. And they've got enough confidence to get people going behind them. The reason why people think wealthy people or people with money are sinister is because that's what you kind of taught in the hood. Like you kind of taught like the people who really have money, like they did some wicked shit to get it. They did some backstab and cut those shit to get it and you'll never get that. So it's a terrifying concept, like like power. You know, very few of us ever, ever get any kind of influence or power, right? Once you get it, you're like, hey, what do I do with this? People are afraid of not getting validated or they're afraid of judgment that they perceive from other people that exist or don't exist in their lives. A lot of people just underestimate the amount of effort it takes to go from good to great. And so for whatever reason, they have this second voice that criticizes everything they do that in reality isn't even there. I would say 99% of the things that I have learned, I've learned through doing. 
And that's when it just snapped. It just, I just said to myself, wait a minute, I made this with my own hands. I went and sold this to individuals and nobody was in my way. I didn't have to get a check from a boss. Nobody told me when or to come to work or go to work. I can't get fired from this because of my color creed or whatever the case is. I'm responsible for what's happening here. And I will either fail because every decision I make, I'll also succeed because every decision I make. And it's it's that is a it, that is a really difficult thing to to tell you. Can you tell the difference between those two things? Wealthy people do three things, man. They stop trading time for money. They make their money work for them, and they give as much value to people as they can. One-dimensional players aren't in the league. One-dimensional players ain't in the league. What made Michael Jordan Michael Jordan is he can put up thirty and he can shut your butt down. He can play offense, he can play defense. He can play 40 minutes, 48 minutes. If you're not where you want to be financially, if you're not where you want to be emotionally, if you're not where you want to be physically, relationally, socially, 10 times out of 10, it is because you have settled in a place called convenience. And most of you in this room, your problem is you're one-dimensional and you're trying to hang your hat on that. So what? I'm the number one motivational speaker in the world. Am I the number one father in the world? My kids don't care nothing about YouTube. My wife don't care nothing about YouTube. So what? You're the number one motivational speaker. Are you the number one husband? When you come home, cut all that foolishness off and give me me. And there are conferences. Do me a favor. You and CJ talk, and when you get in the garage, you close the garage, and when you come in the house, you take E.T. the hip-hop preacher off. I want Eric. I married Eric. I didn't marry E.T. the hip-hop preacher. If you continue to believe that your best work is behind you, then you will never achieve what is ahead of you. So real quick, what you, know, you got to let go of? Write it down right now. Let's not play. There's an anointing in this place. What do you need to let go of so you can become 1%? Wealth is a mindset, it's not a dollar amount. No catch that. Wealth is a mindset, it's not a dollar amount. The wealthy do what the poor won't do. The problem with many of you is that you got fooled, you got complacent, you got lazy. Somewhere along the line, you lost your enthusiasm, your optimism. He lost your hunger. So we're going to talk about the wealthy in a minute. I want you to write it all down. I told you I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I am willing to do what others are not willing to do so I can live like others would never live. Somebody say you get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I get up at 3 o'clock? Our ancestors were getting up at 3 or 4, picking cotton. Oh, you thought they was getting up at 9. <laughs> You thought they was like, you uh, picking cotton today? Oh, we're gonna start at nine, we're gonna start at nine a.m. It's gonna just let the sun come up, and then once the sun comes up, you're gonna, oh, you're gonna, you're sick? Oh, you get a sick day. If you want your future, then you are going to have to get acquainted with pain, with discomfort, with inconvenience, because hunger is the only thing that's going to give you the power to persevere through that pain. Here's what's crazy. I, in the 1800s, I had to have a certain work ethic just to survive. And you have the opportunity to become multi-millionaires, billionaires, 
and your work ethic is worse than the people who have was forced to work. People tell me, I'm a boss. You're not a boss. You can't even make yourself get up. You got a t-shirt, I'm a boss, but you getting up at 8.30, 9 o'clock. <laughs> Bosses are up watching the 3 o'clock news. Some of you didn't even know the news came on at 3 o'clock. Because you watched the 6 o'clock news. You thought it was, that's what the first one. The first news is at 3 a.m. That's the one Warren Buffett on. No, you're saying Warren Buffett is Warren Buffett because he's a white male. Warren Buffett is Warren Buffett because of where he grew up. Warren Buffett is not Warren Buffett because of where he grew up. Warren Buffett is Warren Buffett because what he does, he reads six hours a day every day. That's 42 doggone hours a week. So when Warren Buffett makes a decision, he makes a very wise decision, why? Because he's making it off of 42 hours a read. You hadn't read nothing. You watch, you making decisions off the Housewives of Atlanta. Warren Buffett is binging on, I was in the room with Warren Buffett. He said he was reading the financial report of GM in 1956. Why? Because that was their best year. He's binging on GM's financial records from 1956 and you binging on power. But, but now you saying, hey racist. They ain't racist when you watching power though. I don't care if you gotta listen to me a thousand times, I need you to get crystal clear about your future. Because the only reason why you are here, the only reason why you're alive, is because you have work to do. Come on, talk back to me. You are not a boss because you got all day to do whatever you want to do. And the most you can do is go to some work for somebody that you don't like and you don't care for and dog them out and complain about them when they're giving you a check. They guaranteeing you a check. They making sure you got health care and you dogging them out. If you don't like what they doing, why are you still there? Go get your own job. They weren't the only ones that was blessed and that was fruitful and that could multiply and that could subdue the earth and have dominion. They not the only ones. You can do it too, but your problem is you're not a one percenter because you don't live like a one percenter. If you want generational cycles broken in your family, if you want to be the first to achieve, the first to get it done, the first to see it, the first to do it, you must stay hungry. And see, when we get into the prison of fear, because we have fallen in an area, fear has friends. One of the chief friends of fear is doubt. And doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. There are people who have failed in their head before they even reach the field. And so I want to invite you to renounce the spirit of fear. Failure is the only opportunity to begin again. And if I'm talking to anybody that's hungry for the future, all you need is an opportunity to try again. Failing doesn't make you a failure. It's something you did. It's not who you are. And so one thing we are going to have to get a crystal clear about is that if I failed, then I can win. I'm talking to that football team. I'm talking to that baseball team, that basketball team. I'm talking to that fighter. I'm talking to that track star. I'm talking to that athlete. I'm talking to that student. I'm talking to the person who failed the exam over and over and over again. I'm talking to that individual. 
who feels as though all hope is lost, who feels as though they gave it their all. If you are still alive, you've got something left. Thomas Edison, he was fired from his first two jobs. His teachers coined him stupid that he couldn't learn anything. This is the man who invented the light bulb the first thousand times he failed. But he was never a failure. He just found a thousand ways that don't work. You're no Thomas Edison. You didn't try a thousand times. Try a thousand times and then come talk to me and tell me you're not enough. Tell me you don't have what it takes. Tell me you're stupid. Tell me you're dumb. Tell me you're slow. Tell me you don't have enough. Whatever pushed you to the ground, whatever knocked you to the floor, from that place, I want you to look it in the eye and tell it. Tell that person, tell that circumstance, tell that place, tell whatever it is that knocked you to the floor. You can't keep me here. If you're going to understand the program of resiliency, we are going to have to stop running from difficult times. Stop praying that the storm will pass over you and pray to grow through the storm. Stop going around it, go through it. What you go through, you will grow through. Some fights are not won in the first round. Flat out, in the moment that you get that and you get crystal clear and you accept the fact that there are some giants that you will not defeat in the first round. You need endurance. You need stamina to reach some goals. You're not gonna hit the million with the first investment. You're not gonna hit the home run always at first swing. But resiliency says, I belong here and I deserve another shot. I want my opportunity. Give me my opportunity. People are afraid of not getting validated or they're afraid of judgment that they perceive from other people that exist or don't exist in their lives. A lot of people just underestimate the amount of effort it takes to go from good to great. And so for whatever reason, they have this second voice that criticizes everything they do that in reality isn't even there. I would say 99% of the things that I have learned, I've learned through doing. Most people had a graveyard of failures before they had their actual first success. With 20 hours of focused effort, most people can be pretty decent at something. But most people spend years waiting to do the first hour. I think the things that were withheld from us are the things that usually we seek the most. Competitors don't put you out of business, but you obsessing over competitors does. The idea that my future self would trade all the money he had to be poor in 20 again made me really reanalyze how I saw living life in the moment. How many successful guys have daddy issues? So many. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, I didn't get his respect, so I'm going to have to compensate with my circumstances, with my environment, so that everyone respects me. Mm -hmm. And some people do that through fear. Some people do that through violence. Some people do that through success. It really just depends what vehicle you choose. I feel like the deep need is the same. I think a lot of my definitions have been defined by my actions. I am the person who has done these things, and I will do things that will get me closer to the things that I want to achieve. A lot of my definition of self has always been based on evidence. I think it was harder for me in the beginning because I didn't have evidence to support what I hoped to be true about myself, which at the time wasn't. If I can just decrease the action threshold for people to begin and be okay with the fact that they're going to suck and it is okay to suck, you should expect to suck. 
and it would be unreasonable for you to be good if you haven't done it before. And so it's like, are you asking the universe to be unreasonable for you by expecting to be good on your first try? And so I think that if we can shift the time horizon that we think in, then we gain more leverage over our time, which we then know we will compound into money. Because I think if you can master the time, you master the money. What did you learn about the habits of the rich? I haven't learned much about the habits of the rich at all, to be very candid with you. I think that maybe there are some beliefs that, because like my dad was a doctor, I wouldn't uh -huh. say he was like, you know, ultra wealthy, but like we lived in upper middle class, you know, lifestyle. But in terms of like wealth, as I think you and I would probably understand it, I didn't know anything about that. And I don't think I've ever really studied it very much. I would say that my heroes now, like I started studying wealth after I became wealthy. So like, what did you learn about it afterwards? And what do wealthy people do that you think poor people don't do? They pick higher leverage opportunities in a sentence. So like poor, rich dad, poor dad, like poor dad says, get a job. Poor dad says, get a higher paying job. And, and the thing is, there's so many innate beliefs that seem commonplace. Like, well, of course, you know what I mean? Like, well, of course, you know, and you know, you buy some real estate and it, you know, it'll appreciate over time. Of course you invest in some stocks. Like, yeah, of course. Poor dads just don't say that. And so you have to like learn that, I think. And I didn't, so I'm grateful in that I didn't have to learn that because I heard that just was, a, of course, yeah, once you have some money, like, of course you don't spend your whole income. Of course you don't. And so there's a lot of, of course you don'ts that I think I, I inherited just by being in like a saving father. But there's also some upper middle class people who don't save anything. But I think my dad did a lot of, I think he helped a lot with like money hygiene. I've had a lot of really good money hygiene from my dad. The big, the big breakthrough that I had for me was when I stopped focusing on, and this is gonna sound backwards, but when I started my gyms, I was all about building the business, right? And when I built the biggest companies that I've had and now recently sold, and now we have our portfolio, it was about how do we make the most money? And I know that com sounds completely backwards, but the only way that you can make the most money is to provide an exceptional valued service and charge a ton of money for it. And because I optimized around making money, I, I started going through for low capital expense businesses because I had lost everything after that five-year stint. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, never again am I going to reinvest every dollar from the business back into the business because I've lost it before. So when I started the, the next business and every business I've had thereafter, like we take dividends every month. And we do that because- You don't wait till there's an exit 10 exactly. years later. No, I mean, put all I'd your love, money in. I'd love to do both. Yeah, yeah. Why not both? Sure. Right? And so that was- Take the, a dividend and get a bigger Of course. Bank. Yeah. But and not just put money in and wait and get no money back. A hundred percent. And the thing is, is, and this was a fallacy I had because people always talk about like reinvesting in their business but I realized that that just meant that they weren't making profit. And so, <laughs> and so the vast majority of businesses, even the software world is, is somewhat shifting in this, um, but they wanna see profit. And then even better is if you have net free cash flow, which is just a fancy word for the amount of money that you can take out every month after making necessary investments in the business. And so I wanted to have businesses that pumped cash flow uh, because I had lost it all before. If people were able to not ask for 12 months and just serve, and don't get me wrong, I'm all about making money. Like, by yes. all means, go get your bag. But I think that what it does is it ends up freeing you to then make your real impact because then you can start the whatever the next thing. And hopefully your first thing is that thing, but realistically, it probably isn't. And all you have to do is look at every entrepreneur that's really wealthy, the amount of graveyard businesses they have in their back. <laughs> right. right. And so like right now, if you're listening and you're like, I'm not sure if this is the perfect business idea, let me just save you the time. It's not because look at every other person who has been ultra successful. They have 10 failed business ideas. So just like, just start. So you can just start notching off the bad yes. businesses. Yes. Right. But extending the time horizon, I think only happens if you do shift the intention through which you're building it. 
or you're just unbelievably self-disciplined. <laughs> but I think it's easier to just like start at it with the right heart because uh, uh, small tangent, but I think it'll be worth it. Is that the reason that most people aren't successful, in my opinion, is that they sacrifice global benefit for local benefit. And that happens in all areas of life. You eat the piece of cake because you have an acute local benefit versus the global benefit of a six pack that lasts for a very long time or better health, etc. The three things that I think <laughs> were in common of the ultra successful were uh, inflated sense of self, as in they thought that they like they deserved big things, they wanted to go after big things, inferiority, never being good enough, and impulse control. Those are the three factors of the most successful. They're like when they did a common factors analysis, like these people think they believe that they can achieve all this amazing stuff, and then it, it's just it's an amazing paradox because at the same time they think they're not good enough and they are insecure about whether they they can achieve it, and they have impulse control, and they just they they and they stay focused on the thing, and. I'd say the biggest breakthroughs that I've had, I think that will create a lot of the wealth that we will have in the future is, is really a deep understanding of how long long is and shooting with the intention of like, I'm only bringing this up because my YouTube guy said it. He's like, I've never had somebody who actually started it. I was like, we'll see what we do in five years. <laughs> I was like, we'll measure that. And he was yeah. like, no one has literally ever said that to me. I was like, as long as I see progress, I'm yeah. good. Because everyone like, wants results in like two months. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Like if we're make, if we're going this way, I'm cool. I don't need to say like that's good enough. For most people, if if they could extend the time horizon, because like I'll give you another hack. You can know how wealthy someone is based on the time horizons they speak in. So if someone's talking about how they're trying to make you know make money this today, hey, let me hold twenty for today. You know how you know how poor they are. Uh -huh. I have to say poor. Like you know how yeah, poor yeah, they yeah. are, right? If someone's talking about what they're going to make this week, or this month, or this quarter, or this year, or this decade, think about how different the people are who are talking in those time horizons. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if we can shift the time horizon that we think in, then we gain more leverage over our time, which we then know we will compound into money. Because I think if you can master the time, you master the money. If somebody is starting from scratch. What are the traits, skill sets that they should be cultivating in order to up the odds of their success? They should focus on one thing in general rather than lots of different things that you're not sure about. Because if you're starting out, everything looks like an opportunity. So the correct answer is all of them are opportunities, but all of them won't work unless you pick one, right? And so you have to say no to all the other mistresses. So boom, you pick one. And then from there, I always say six figures is sell something to someone. That's it. And if you want more details, sell something to someone. So it's one avatar, one product, one channel. So you don't have to figure out how do I create 20 pieces of content across? It's like, just pick one channel, one media source, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you know, whatever, Twitter, consistently start going on that, whether that's cold outbound, whether that's content, whether it's running paid ads, whether it's uh, affiliates, word of mouth, whatever it is, um, and start reaching out to people there to start selling your stuff. And so I use something that I call the rule of 100 which is 100 primary actions, whether that's 100 minutes of, of content creation per day, 100 reach outs per day, uh, $100 of ad spend per day. Uh, to, like you have to pick one of them, but 100 per day, and you do that for 100 days, and I promise you, you'll have, you'll be making six figures if you do that. People are afraid of val you know, not getting validated or they're afraid of judgment that they perceive from other people that exist or don't exist in their lives. Um, and so for whatever reason, they have this second voice that criticizes everything they do that in reality isn't even there, um, but is constantly present. It's like the antithesis of whatever the God figure is, but just the negative voice. And so I think that's the thing that 
stops most people from doing the stuff they know they need to do. Because if you think about like, whether it's want to get in shape or I want to have a better marriage or I want to make more money, most people on some level, at a basic level, they know what to do. And my proof point of like even making money, right? Most of us have had a bill that came up that was unexpected, a tax bill, a car breaks down, a health thing, whatever it is, and we find a way. And so when it's for someone else, people are willing use the actual resourcefulness that they have to make the money. But for whatever reason, they won't use that same resourcefulness to make it for themselves. And so I think that most people know if they want to work out, uh, sorry, to, to get in shape or to lose weight, whatever, they know they need to eat fewer donuts and move more in general. But they don't, right? Because they're afraid of getting started or they don't have the discipline to keep going, which is they can't make the short-term sacrifice for the long-term achievement. So big picture, it's like there's usually some fear that's preventing from doing it. And then how it looks from a behavioral standpoint is they do not make the short-term sacrifice of discomfort for the long-term achievement. My dad had various nicknames for me. He'd call me Fireball sometimes because I'd start little businesses. He didn't care about money at all. He believed very much in having an inner scorecard and I never worry about what other people are thinking about you. You know, just, just, uh, if you know why you're doing what you're doing, that's good enough. When I want to do something, I always want to do it big. I've said many times that, that 65 or 70, and the people that you want to have love you actually do love you, you're a success. Some people should not own stocks at all because they just get too upset with price fluctuations. If you're going to do dumb things because your stock, a stock goes down, you shouldn't own a stock at all. <laughs> the first books I read on investment we're actually in my dad's office. I just read and read and read. I probably read five to six hours a day. I mean, I figured out very early, you don't have to be that smart in this business, which is fortunate, but you do have to have the right temperament. The best gift I was ever given was to have the father that I had when I was born. Known as the Oracle of Omaha, the 91-year-old Warren Buffett is one of the most successful investors of all time. He went from buying his first stock at age 11 to running Berkshire Hathaway, a multinational holding company with total assets nearing $1 trillion. Often appearing on lists alongside Bill Gates and Elon Musk, his current net worth is $105 billion, placing him as the seventh richest person in the world. Despite such enormous wealth, he maintains a simple lifestyle. He lives in the same home that he bought back in 1958 for $31,500. He makes his daily commute in his 2014 Cadillac XTS, often stopping by McDonald's for breakfast before heading into the office. So for someone with such a simple routine and more money than he could possibly spend, what makes him happy? I would have to be honestly say that, that, that what makes me happiest is what I'm doing, what I'm doing. I know I'll win over time. That doesn't mean I'll beat everybody else or anything like that, but I'll, I, I mean, the game is very, very, very easy if you have the right lessons in your mind about what you're buying. I'm not buying stocks. I'm buying pieces of overwhelmingly American business. Uh, and I'm happy when that's happy, when that's uh, when I'm doing it. I'm happy when stocks are going down. I'm happier when stocks are going down because I, I, I can buy more of them with the same amount of money. I'd be happy if I was a farmer. I'd want farmland to go down. Uh, so I could buy more acreage, you know, if I was, I mean, it just makes sense. The best boat you can have is your own talent, you know, I mean, it's, they can't, they can't take it away from you, they, inflation can't take it from you, right. taxes can't take it from you, so I, I, when I talk to students, I see these students and I tell them, 
you know, you're a million dollar asset. I would pay you $100,000 of the MBAs for 10% of the earnings for the rest of your life. So that makes you a million dollar asset. Now, if you can do something to increase that value 50%, if you can learn to communicate better verbally or in written form, and you become 50% more, that's $500,000 just by improving yourself. I mean, not, nobody can take that away from you. And, and so I urge everybody, you know, when they're, I talk to them in high school about this and, 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 and colleges, just do, develop, develop the habits. You've got the brain power, you've got the energy, but develop the habits of success and, and look around you at the people that you admire, you know, and list what makes you admire them compared to somebody else that looks equally strong or equally talented. And those are, those are things that you can do. I mean, just write them down and, and, and uh, you know, people like people that are, they're, they like them if they're, if they're humorous and they're friendly, if they're, if they're, uh, if they give credit to the other fellow, I mean, I, and, and they don't like them if they're stingy, you know, or they overstate and overpromise and all those sort of things. Well, that's a decision, that's a decision you make. So, so I, I encourage everybody to build your own moat around yourself. Accumulating such a large net worth doesn't happen if you're average at what you do. Clearly, Warren Buffett is at the top of the investing game. Here's some of his best investing advice. All you have to do is just buy a cross-section of America and then ever listen to people like me or read the papers or do anything subsequently. It, uh, they, think, they think that because you can trade, you should trade. They, you buy a farm, you buy an apartment house, you can't resell it tomorrow, and, you know, the cost of moving around. Or you, now you get something handed to you, liquidity, you know, which is instant, you can sell, and the, the cost of doing it are pennies you know, compared to other kinds of investment activity. So because they can so easily move around, they do move around. And, Moving around is not smarter than investing. By far the best investment you can make is in yourself. I mean, that, for example, communication skills. I tell those students that come that uh, they're going to graduate schools and business and they, they're learning all these complicated formulas and all that. If they just learn to communicate better, both in writing and in person, they increase their value at least 50%. You know, I mean, it, it, uh, if you can't communicate, somebody says, you know, it's like winking at a girl in the dark. Nothing happens, you know, basically. And and you have to be able to get get forth your ideas, and uh, and that's that's relatively easy. I did it myself. It, it's just hugely important. And you, if you invest in yourself, nobody can take it away from you. Well, life advice is, uh, you know, the most important thing. Uh, it's really who you associate with. You want to associate with people that are better than you are. I mean, basically, you'll go in the direction of the people that you associate with, and and you want to have the right heroes. Uh, you want people. If you want to emulate somebody, you better pick very carefully who you want to emulate. And uh, obviously, you can't pick your parents. Uh, uh, they're going to have enormous influence on you. But you don't get a choice on that. But you get choices as you go down the line, and you uh, who you. Uh, who you admire, who you, who, you, who you want to copy, and the most important for most people in terms of that decision is their spouse. It's also important in terms of a partner in business, but the partner in life is, is, is the most important one. You, you want to pick a spouse that's a little bit better than you are, <laughs> and then he or she, and, hope, and you hope they don't f figure it out too fast. <laughs> I'll leave you with this metaphor Warren uses to encourage everyone to take care of themselves. I was in high school, almost a third as long as the country has been around. And when I was in high school, I really only had two things on my mind, girls and cars. <laughs> and 
And I wasn't doing very well with girls, so we'll talk about cars. <laughs> but let's just imagine that when we finish, I'm going to let each one of you pick out the car of your choice. Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, pick it out, any color, you name it, it'll be tied up with a bow, and it'll be at your house tomorrow. And you say, well, what's the catch? <laughs> and the catch is that it's the only car you're going to get in your lifetime. Now, what are you going to do knowing that that's the only car you're ever going to have and you love that car? You're going to take care of it like you cannot believe. Now, what I'd like to suggest, you're not going to get only one car in your lifetime, but you're going to get one body and one mind, and that's all you're going to get. And that body and mind feels terrific now, but it has to last you a lifetime. You get exactly one mind and one, and one body in this world, and, and you can't start taking care of it when you're 50. By that time, you'll have rusted out if you haven't done anything. So you, you, should, you should really make sure that you just remember that you've just got one mind and body to get through life with and to do the most with it like that can you change in 21 days you can change in 21 seconds if you know how in fact you can change twice every day first in the way you think and the second in the way you act everything I talk about that the, the strength is in the simplicity and the honesty there's no need to complicate stuff people want something simple but they also want it to be fast we live in such a fast world and if you can't give your message like really fast people are just not interested and I get that my purpose, I would say, is to give people freedom and empowerment from their issues and their pain. That, that would be my purpose and that would, would be what gives me meaning in life. And I think you know what your purpose is because when you're doing it, it feels so right. When I'm on stage talking, it's not scary. I absolutely love it. In fact, it energizes me. When I'm working with clients in my office, I never find it draining. I find it invigorating. And I think that's the thing, when you do what you love, and you love what you do, first of all, you feel like you never work, but secondly, it inspires you, it motivates you. And if I do what I don't love, I feel the difference immediately. And so we all have a gift, and I think your challenge is find out what you love to do and become brilliant at it. And, and we've all got something unique that we can do. It's very hard to know at 20 what you're meant to do. So give yourself a break. Find out what you love, find out what makes your heart sing. People who are good make it look so easy and think, oh, I can do that, I can do that. And then because you make it look so easy, you often lose credibility. You think, well, you know, you can just turn up on stage and, and act, but they don't realize all the work that goes into it. And I think leaders make it look very easy, but it's also because they love it. I'm not enough. And if you start from I'm not enough, then you need more. More cake, more drinks, more drugs, more sex, more stuff, more shopping, more followers. Because we've got so into I'm not enough and I need more. It's so great that we're getting small children to understand that your thoughts are yours to change. You're not your thoughts. Change them. Changing your thoughts is easy. It's free. It can be instant.